you know, today it's, a, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting for me because I love the book of Zechariah. So if you're following SIBKL, you know that we're in the study of Zechariah. So last week, Pastor Chu, we did um, Zechariah 12. That's right. Uh, next week is Zechariah 14. So if your math is right, uh, we are landing on Zechariah 13 today. So before I go into my sermon, uh, can I just say, you know, remind everybody that 12, 13, 14 chapter is, is actually one big piece. Uh, it's actually, uh, it's, it's, it has one, uh, one theme that is strung together, right? So if I could put it this way, um, what is the theme of 12, 13, and 14, and why are we studying Zechariah? Um, I'll explain in a moment, but the themes will be Zechariah 12 will be mostly about repentance. will be mostly about um, coming back to God and says, God, um, I recognize Jesus as the Messiah. We mourn His death, but yet I'm coming back to you, Lord Jesus Christ, in repentance and accepting you, Jesus, as my Messiah. That's Zechariah 12. But after you have repented and come to God in repentance, Zechariah 13 is about purification. See, God just, not, God just does, does not want us to just repent, repent, repent for repenting's sake, right? That is not our Jesus. That is not our God. We repent, yes, but then we go into a period of purification and God says, we're going to refine you like fire. So if you are, you know, if you're paying attention to the worship songs today, uh, 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 you will know that, yes, the theme for today or this weekend is the refinest fire of God, that He brings us through that purificational process. But Why? Then you ask yourself, why does God need to purify us? You know, He's forgiven us. Can't that just be all? Why does He have to purify us? So next week, come back. Next week, Zechariah 14, we're going to land on why we need to go through sanctification or purification. It's holiness. See, in the Bible, it's very clear that God says, be holy as I am holy. Zechariah 14 tells us that at, at the end of the human timeline, Right? So just in case you don't know, there is an end of the human timeline. At the end, when Jesus Christ comes again to redeem mankind, to reconcile mankind unto Himself, He says, I'm going to restore unto the world holiness. That is going to be uh, next week. But why? Why holiness? Come back. Come back here. It's very interesting. Uh, uh, next week, uh, sermon. But today, we're going to land in the middle, which is purification. Now, this is going to be, now I've been praying a lot about this message because every time I know when we talk about purification or sanctification or refiner's fire or holiness, you know, the church shudders in fear because it's always got to do with us cleansing from our sins, right? But I think it's a very important topic. So I'm going to talk to you today, I'm going to divide my sermon into two parts. I'm going to deviate a little bit from SIBKL style. I don't have three points. Can I just put it? I tried. I tried my best to have three points, um, but I said, no, it's actually Zechariah 13 is one whole big story. So I'm having, I'm going to tell you a whole long story today. The first, part, the first part will be me explaining 13 doctrinally. What does it mean? I want to explain the verse. It's, it's a very complicated verse. I'm going to read it for you in a while. Then in the second part, I want to explain devotionally what it means to us. How can we apply the complexity of the doctrine to our lives? So I'm going to read, it's only nine verses. I'm going to read Zechariah 13, uh, uh, 1 to 9, and I invite everybody on site to read it with me. Online, I invite you as well, but I can't hear you online, so I trust that you are reading. So on site, if you could do me a favor, if you read loud enough, I may not need to talk, and they may hear you through my mic. Who knows, right? Um, all right, here we go. One, two, three. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. On that day, I will banish the names of idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. 
And if anyone still prophesy, their father and mother to whom they were born will say to them, you must die because you have told lies in the Lord's name. Then their own parents will stab the one who prophesies. Next. There we go. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of their prophetic vision. They will not put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. Each will say, I'm not a prophet, I'm a farmer. The land has been my livelihood since my youth. If someone asks, what are these wounds on, my, on your body? They will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Awake sword against my shepherd against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. And if God say to you, they are my people, what do you say? The Lord is our God. Amen. So I hope one day if you're in your prayer time and you hear the voice of God saying, you are my people, your response should always be, the Lord is my God. I want to very quickly explain just the first part. Um, the part where, you know, it pits father against, uh, father against son and mother against son. Very, very quickly, if you go home and you read 1 to, one to uh, verse 6, uh, that whole chapter is about on that day, which is the second coming of Jesus, um, the Lord God will put um, all the false prophets and all the idols uh, 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 to death or perish them or destroy them in fire, right? So on that day, the Lord will destroy everything. And the zeal for God, the passion for God, the love for God is going to be so strong that, that, that even uh, uh, if my son were to be a false prophet, and lie. And if my son were to worship an idol, my love for God is so strong that I'm inclined to detach myself from my son. I don't want to say um, kill because both of them are right here, just in case, you know, they hear me. And, but they're only two, right? Um, but yes, so, so that, that is what it means. But I want to I focus more on seven to nine. But before that, the title of my sermon this week is A Fountain Washes Over You or a fountain washes over me. Now, why a fountain washes over me? It's this. In the first verse, on that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will, to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Now, what does this fountain mean? Is it a literal fountain? Is it a fountain in Rome? Or is it a fountain outside every condominium that we have? The word fountain in Hebrew, very interestingly, is the word makor. The word makor means a spring. So I want, you, I want you to bear that in mind. I'm just going to touch on this, and then I want to move on to the doctrine, okay? But I, you have to keep this in mind because I will come back to this soon. Makor means a spring. It, 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 when you know geography and you think of a spring, a fountain is something that pours up from within, right? A spring is also something that pours up from within. So it's not an external force. It's a force that comes from within you. A spring, a fountain, a source of water. Now, what is this source? Very important. This is the source of life. Okay, I, I have to not point because online people say, Pastor, I can't, don't know what you're pointing to. What I'm pointing to for people online is the definition of the word fountain, okay? The source of life 
joy, purification, happiness, wisdom, and wellspring. So when in Zechariah, when God says, I, there is going to be a fountain that's opened up for you, the fountain is to cleanse you from sin and unrighteousness, this fountain means so much more than just cleansing. This fountain means that God will give you joy, that God will give you wisdom, that God will give you happiness, this cleansing, right? If you're anything like me, anybody here, if you're anything like me, I find so much joy after I spend 12 hours cleaning my house. I, I, I love it. I don't know. Okay, I may be the only male in the whole of the world that finds such joy, but if you are a male and you, you, you resonate with me, give me a cheer. Oh my, <laughs> I'm <just> saying, no, no. <laughs> right? Um, uh, but if you're a female, right, if you're a girl, but and you enjoy cleaning and it gives you joy, give me a cheer. All right, right. Half of you are like, no. The other half is like, yes. But okay, but, but, but unfortunately for everybody who said no, I hold the mic. So now today I declare that everybody, uh, uh, when you clean the house and you find that everything is so neat, all the dust is gone, right? everything is packed away nice and you can walk in the house and it feels so fresh and it feels so nice. There's so much joy that comes out of it, right? That's at least that's from, there's so much happiness and I feel like God is speaking to me once again. I've decluttered my life, right? God is speaking to me. And that's the fountain God is talking about. When you've been cleansed of your sin, when you've been cleansed and you have repented before God, don't look at repentance as if, you know, oh, it's such a hard thing, a difficult thing, I have to go on through whipping myself and condemning myself. That's not repentance. After you repent and you're guilty before God, God will always give you a fountain of joy. There will always be that happiness with God that you look at your life, oh, you know, my life is now clean. I'm pure to walk before God with my head held high. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. So I want to now explain a very interesting doctrine, all right? This is, the, uh, uh, this is the doctrine of the inaugural address of Jesus when he, he started his ministry. So as, as most of you know, and I believe this has been preached in SIBKL because I, I remember the preacher and I remember the sermon uh, 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 many, many, many years ago. But this Luke chapter 4, 18 to 19, is when Jesus, when he, he, he sort of launched this ministry or, or, or God says, now Jesus, hereby you are now the Son of God. Uh, to, to walk the earth, to, uh, to minister to mankind, Jesus uh, 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 um, have an opening address, right? And his opening address is this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, full stop. All right? So if you read, if you go on, if you do your research, it's full stop, and he goes on to something else. And, and a lot of commentators say that it's almost as if he opened the Isaiah scroll, he read this part, and he says, Okay, that's done. He closed it and he said, okay, done, done. Thank, that's, that's my opening speech, right? But where did Jesus quote it from? Now, Jesus quoted from, as I said, the Isaiah scroll. So he opened the Isaiah scroll and he quoted here. This is his quote. Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 2. So you know the Bible is real. You know the Old Testament is real when Jesus quotes the Old Testament in his life, right? So it can be relied on. And this is what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord, blah, 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 uh, verse number 1, all right? And then, verse number two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. What's the difference between Luke 4 and Isaiah 61? The difference is the final portion. The final portion of verse two states, the day of vengeance of our God. Next slide. The day of vengeance of our God. So that's in highlighted, right? So Jesus fails to mention this. He doesn't mention this. So he stops 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops there. He closes the scroll. And I'm on my way. Let's do my mission. What does this mean? What's the implication of this? You see, Jesus coming has two parts. Or as I like to call it, if you read the Bible in its fullness, there is a trilogy of story. The first part is Genesis, where God creates. The second part is in, in, in Matthew, or, or Mark, Luke, or John, where Jesus enters the world in His first coming. Then the trilogy ends with Jesus' second coming. And that's going to be like, like um, the most exciting part, right? It's like waiting for Avengers Endgame. That was uh, two years ago. Or now waiting for um, Spider-Man Far From Home, right? Uh, so you're waiting for it because Spider-Man Far From Home is the end of the trilogy. Uh, everyone is looking at me blur. Like, you know that, right? Don't, it's okay. If you don't know that, that's fine. It, what's important is Zechariah. Okay, um, the day of the vengeance of the Lord. So God stops this. Why? God says, in my first coming, I'm going to do five things. I'm going to proclaim good news. I'm going to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm going to proclaim freedom. I'm going to release from darkness. And I'm going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then when I come back again in my second coming, then I will proclaim the day of the Lord's vengeance against people who don't believe in Him, don't believe in me. So he does five things. So we're still living in the year of the Lord's favor. What does that have to do with Zechariah though? All right? There is a closing address of Jesus, just in case you didn't know. Jesus, before he went on the cross, before he had to split from his disciples, there was a closing address. The closing address is this. In the Gospels, Matthew 26, and likewise in Mark 14, only found in these two synoptic Gospels, Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Same in Mark. God has said, I will strike the shepherd. Now we all know that's the cross. God will strike the shepherd, Jesus Christ, on that cross and the sheep will scatter and he stops. And then if you know the account, uh, uh, the biblical story, Jesus went on to tell Peter that you will betray me three times before the rooster crows. He's almost telling Peter, when I am struck, you will scatter. You will betray me three times before the rooster crows. Where was Jesus quoting from? Jesus was quoting from the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah 13, verse 7 says this, Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. What did Jesus fail to do again? Or, well, fail is a bad word. What did Jesus intentionally omit once again? It's this. Jesus intentionally omits, and I will turn my hand against the little one. And I want to explain why. The why is found here. What does turn his hand against the little one mean? See, on that day, on the second coming, as you know, if if you're paying attention last week, it's this. The whole land, which is Israel, because Zechariah prophesies to the land of Israel, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish. Two-thirds will be struck down and perish, but one-third will be left. Now, these, these two-thirds that perish is when God says, I will strike the little ones. Two-thirds will perish. Now, you ask me, or at least Pastor Chiu last week asked, why does God, God shield Israel, but yet God has to strike Israel? What does that mean? Here's my interpretation of it. Here, I'm going to tell you what I believe is, is why God has to strike down two-thirds of Israel. Here's what I believe. I believe God has to strike them down on the last day because two-thirds of Israel failed to see Jesus as the Messiah. 
only one-third see Jesus as the Messiah. And in that one-third, God will put through the fire, the refiner's fire, so that they will come out on the other side holy. And Israel would only have days and months. So if you know the end times, they would only have days and months in the refiner's fire, right? It's likewise for us. I believe at the end of times, God will, you have a choice. You believe in Jesus or you don't. You belong to the two-thirds or the one-third. There is no, there's no other math. There's no other side. It's either you are on the side of Jesus or you are not. And I guess today I want to ask you that question. And I have many questions, but I'm going to ask you the first one. Whose side are you on? We all hear refiner's fire and we go, no, I don't want that. I don't want to be trialed by fire, which is one of my favorite songs. I don't want to be trialed by fire. But being with Jesus means we are called to be holy. Called to be holy means we will all be trialed by fire. And just in case you don't know, not being with Jesus, you would also be trialed by fire. So with or without Jesus, this life will try you like fire. It's better to be with Jesus. Now, what has that got to do with us? We're not at a second coming. We're not on that day yet. I don't know when we're going to get on that day. Now, what does it all got to do with me? Now, here it is. There is a fountain that flows on that day, but there is also a fountain that flows now. Can you guess what fountain that flows now? That fountain of Jesus Christ on that cross. The blood of Jesus that flows through all our veins and through all our lives. That's the fountain that flows now. And we have a choice to either bathe in that fountain or reject that fountain. You know, as I was preparing, I can't get this song out of my mind, so I'm just going to sing it, all right? And I, 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 I decided not to get the worship team to sing it because I'm not too sure how many people know this old hymn. It's a very old hymn but I sing it almost every year at Easter, and I love it. It, it. The hymn goes like this. So if you know it, sing with me. All right, everybody on site. It goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that blood Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath that blood. Lose all. Hallelujah. So you know the hymn, right? It's a beautiful hymn. We are now living in the age of the fountain that flows by the blood of Jesus. You see, we are living in the now and the not yet. The now is that Jesus declared that we are living in the year of the Lord's favor. The not yet is that Jesus has not turned his hand against us. The not yet is the day of vengeance that has not come. And while we live in the in-between, there is a redemption and a good news for all of us. And the good news is found after Jesus died on that cross, after His blood was shed. He rose on the third day. 
he appeared to the disciples. And in particular, he appeared to Peter. And this is what happened in John chapter 21. Jesus said to them, now he appeared on the beach, and now they were fishing on the, on the boat. So if you know the story, you know the story. They were fishing, and they couldn't catch any fish. And Jesus said to them, um, um, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And they caught, very specifically, 153 fishes. Or is it 59 fishes, right? And then Jesus said, come, come, come. Come and have breakfast with me. Come and eat with me. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. But not just that. Jesus said, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? Remember how Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed? Remember how the sheep were scattered when the shepherd was struck? And now the shepherd came back and approached the sheep. And it's almost as if telling every single sheep, now who's the sheep? We are all his sheep. And he told Peter, he asked Peter one question, do you love me? me. And God is asking you today, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your riches, more than your health? Isn't that controversial? Do you love me more than your wealth? Do you love me more than your fears? Oh, we all have fears in these last two years. Do you love me more than all these? Do you love me? And if you say yes, feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing to Peter? When Peter succumbed under the fountain of blood, Jesus says, now I will restore you. I will give you purpose. I will give you a reason for living. I will give you the reason why you are a Christian. I will give you the reason why you call me Lord, Kurios. I will give you the reason why I died for you. I will give you the reason why I bled for you. I will give you the reason why I'm cleansing you from your sin and impurities. If only you will come and eat with me. There is another fountain. And this Peter, he said yes. Guess what? Fast forward a few books in the Bible. He wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1. Guess what he wrote? In all this, what is all this? Verse 1 to 5 is the inheritance of your salvation, the living hope that Jesus put in you. In all this living hope, in all the inheritance of your salvation, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, Peter was talking about life. You're suffering grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. These griefs have come. These trials have come into your life so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inex inexpressible and glorious joy." Peter is saying, you don't have to wait for the second coming in order to be trialed by fire. Right now, as we submerge ourselves in that fountain of blood, as we are cleansed from our sin and impurities, Peter is saying, we are going through a life, a life of grief, a life of trials. And I know I'm speaking to 100% of you everybody on site and online, every grief you're going through, every trial that God has put you through, every, every difficulty and suffering for the last two years that you have gone through, God is saying, and if you're asking God, why? Why me, God? Why do I have to go through these things? 
God is saying, so that the proven genuineness of your faith. And God is asking you today, do you love me more than these? Do you love me beyond your trials? How many of us are going through relationship problems? How many of you are going through isolation problems? How many of us are going through faith crisis? Are we not? You know, just a few days or weeks ago, you know, I was talking to a group of people and they said, Pastor, I know we're supposed to come back to church physically, but during the whole MCO, we're sort of backslidden in our faith. And I said, that's okay. It's good that you told me. Nobody's condemning you. But it's not now for you to stew in your guilt. It is now for you to arise in your faith. And God is asking you, if you're listening, God is asking you, do you love me more than these? God wants to prove your faith. Are you genuine or are you fake? When you are a piece of silver or gold that is refined by fire, God is proving in your life, are you real silver or are you fake? Are you real news or are you fake news? Which category do you want to belong in? You know, my life has not been easy as well. My life has all sorts of trials. Sit me down, buy me a cup of coffee if I can spare that time. And I don't mind telling you everything that I've gone through and all the things God has put me through. And every time I face one trial after another trial after another trial, do you know why I'm standing here today? Because every time I go through that trial, I ask God why. And God is saying, I am putting you to a test. I am putting you to a trial to see if you love me more than anything in your life. Will you give your life to me more than riches, more than health, more than family, more than anything in this world? Will you love me to the end of the ages? Will your faith be proven genuine? And I says, God, okay, all right. I love my Psalms 139 prayer, right? That is, if there's any sin within me, seen or unseen, reveal it in my life so that I can be led in path everlasting, led in paths of righteousness, everlasting. That's my, one of my favorite prayers. And God is asking every single one of you today, where is your faith when God puts you to that test? I come back to the beginning. Here's the answer. Today, I believe that a fountain is opened for every single person. What fountain is this? Two type of fountains. One, I believe that the blood of Jesus flows and the presence of God flows in this place and even online. That there is a season of grace that if you have backslidden in your faith, if you have done things that you know you're not supposed to do in your faith, God is calling you to submerge yourself beneath that fountain and repent before God. Come back to Him. Submit yourself to the trials that God is putting you through. Submit yourself to the testings that God is putting you through. And I speak to every single person, from pastors to everybody. Submit yourself. Why? Because the alternative of not submitting yourself is to go in the ways of the world. And that leads to only one place, that's death. We have no choice. 
you either choose life or you choose death. And when we choose life, we submit ourselves to the plans of God and that is repentance and that is submission to His trials and testing. And there's another category that I want to open up the altar call later. So that's the first. And here's the second. There are a group of us that we have gone through testings. We have submitted ourselves to the testings. We have submitted ourselves to the faith of God. We have submitted ourselves to be trialed by fire. But we have lost our joy. The fountain says, when the springs of the wellsprings of God